Hello and welcome to a glitch-filled, inconsistent, crashing, shorter than it probably should be nightmare episode of Save Station Radio. Oh wait, was that about the episode or the game we're talking about? Let's hope it's not about the episode. <laughs> With me is Connor. Hello there. And I'm your host Dustin, and this week we are discussing the fourth game in the Spyro series, unfortunately, that is Spyro Inter. The Dragonfly, released on PS2 November 5th, 2002, and GameCube November 19th, 2002, uh, created and developed by the first non-Insomniac developers to work on this series. Uh, that would be Check 6 Studios at Equinox Digital Entertainment, and of course published by those cartoon villains over at Universal Interactive Vivendi. Universal is how you have it written out here. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it's weird because the box art for this one, at least the GameCube box that I have, it has Universal Interactive on the front and then Vivendi Universal on the back. <laughs> oh, whatever, whatever. They're just, they're awful. <laughs> they're just making stuff up at this point. All right. Uh, once again, Connor has been kind enough to do the research for the development of this game, so why don't you hit it off? Yeah, this is a wild one. Uh, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, um, basically with any you know, bad game like this that uh, turned out the way it did. Most likely it went through some big development troubles. You don't say. Um, but this one was kind of a mystery to unravel because uh, this was the first and only game developed by Check 6 and Equinox. Uh, Equinox did some work prior working as like a supplementary studio to others, but Check 6, this was their first and only project. And as such, finding information about them can be pretty difficult sometimes. Uh, but I managed to find a somewhat coherent story, so we'll run through it. This starts in April of 2000, which is when Universal's contract with Sony ended. So this is when uh, Crash and Spyro kind of left the Sony exclusivity. Um, Universal still had the rights, so... You know, Universal is free to do what they want. Insomniac, the developers of the first three games, decided to move on to other things. The thing that they would develop after this is the first Ratchet & Clank game on PS2, which, in my research, I discovered released the day before this game. That's so brutal. It's so sad. Yeah, what a, what a nightmare. Oh, man. Yeah, same console, day prior, way better game way better but universal back in 2000 they had the rights to spyro and in the year 2000 somewhere around mid 2000 i want to guess again it was tough to find specifics for this but universal was bought out by vivendi and i went into a big vivendi universal history in one of the crash episodes i probably did a better job researching back then so if you want to check that out go there but vivendi also merged the companies that they already owned, um, which was Havas Interactive. They owned Sierra and Blizzard at the time. Uh, so Vivendi was kind of gathering all of these gaming uh, groups and merging them together into just Vivendi Universal. And Vivendi, you know, when you buy a bunch of companies, you want to make your money back. So they're like, okay, cool. We're just going to use all of our franchises and make a bunch of games off of them and then make money that way. <laughs> which uh, I'm yes. sure you could see where this is going. Ah, uh, yes, the classic um, 
quite frankly, Activision template of run it into the ground. Yeah, <laughs> we sure. We have a good thing going. We get money. <laughs> At least one every year until people get sick of it. Yeah, so they, with their recently acquired licenses, they commissioned Check 6 Interactive and Equinox Digital Entertainment to make the next game in the Spyro series. The original um, outline... And I found this in some a couple IGN articles from around like 2000. Uh, originally, it was planned to be for the Xbox, PS2, PC, and Game Boy Advance. Which, if you know how it turned out, being only the PS2 and the GameCube, seems weird. Yep. Uh, Spyro would get GBA releases later on, um, but they were not direct interpretations of this game. Yes, uh, Season of Fire and Season of Ice were around this time, though. Right. Equinox, they hired to handle the art assets, which is what they had done for uh, Apocalypse on the PS1. This is a reoccurring (laughs) reoccurring thing. Um, We mentioned this in our Tony Hawk episode. This was a game developed in, like, 1998 for the PlayStation. It was developed by Neversoft. And starred Bruce Willis. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, They did supplementary art for that game. uh, As well as a couple other credits, like two or three more. But this was their first one being like the sole art studio for a game. Uh, And then Check 6 was responsible for the programming. I struggled a lot in this research to find how Check 6 got the Spyro license and the contract. Because all of like the interviews and the deep dives and stuff all are people that were hired on after the contract was already like given to them. Um, but from what I could surmise, they had a demo made for the PS2 that had really impressive graphics and like fairly standard controls. Uh, it just struggled with the frame rate. I think they said it ran at about seven frames per second. <laughs> hmm. That sounds familiar. Hmm, yeah, but uh, it was an, it was impressive enough to give them the Spyro gig, I'm sure. So, Yeah, to be clear, I'm not saying that because that demo didn't run well that they couldn't have made a game that did. That happens all the time. We, we You know, you can search up demos. People leak them online all the time of, like, studios who create things and then show them to publishers. And, you know, they're not polished, but that's because they're demos and they're not meant to be seen by the public. There was actually um, an audience might be interested in this. There was a Crash Bandicoot demo that got released like a year ago, I think, that a company had pitched to Activision before Insane Trilogy happened. It was like running in the Unreal engine, I think. Um, you can go find videos of that. It's really interesting. But that, that happens all the time. It's not, not weird, and that doesn't. it's not necessarily indicative of the final thing ever. Uh, yeah, so, you know, they got the gig at least. Uh, this is where it starts to go downhill, though. Uh, so, Check 6... And with their contract from Universal, had uh, somewhere in there that all of their design documents had to be approved by Universal before the work could be done on them, which doesn't sound too crazy. Like, I'm sure that's probably how things are still done, but, you know, there might be a little more wiggle room. Uh, after some back and forth, they got a 122-page design document approved on schedule, and they began working. Sure. Sure. All great. Um, this first iteration, and I'm pulling a lot of this from an interview that Joel Goodsell, who is a designer for this game, who went uncredited and credited in the GameCube version. There's actually a 
secret credits that you can use a cheat code in the PS2 version to unlock a secret credits that credits the people that left the project before it was finished. Yeah, from my understanding, it's unfortunately still a common practice in video games. If you don't finish out a project, you don't get your name in the credit, which is messed up. <laughs> to say the yeah, least. especially when someone like Joel Goodsell, who worked for about a year and a half on this project, just left before it was done, didn't get in the credits. So it was nice of them, at least in the PS2 version, to put a cheat code to acknowledge all the people that left. Um, But he was there to help with the first iteration. And he thought, you know, back in the time of the PS2, it's like, okay, we should probably, you know, age up Spyro, maybe make it a little bit more mature than it was previously. You know, that's typical 2000s era stuff. But the quote was, he said it was much like the flavor of Harry Potter, still fun and whimsy, yet grown up and dangerous. Yeah, Um, I mean... Honestly, that's easy to make fun of, but, like, there's a logic to that. Um, you know, I think that's a lie a lot of people attribute Harry Potter's success is because it grew up with its audience in a way. I, I can get the understanding there, even if now we can so oh, that's so dumb. 2000s, haha, idiots. <laughs> but I, I can understand where that logic comes from. Yeah, and honestly, I don't think... I think the, you know, the flavor of Harry Potter is probably not a bad tone, you know, if you want to make it a little bit more serious, it's still pretty whimsical and you're still going to have the sort of campy Spyro attitude with it. But um, I could see that working. Yeah, I, I totally get where he's coming from. Yeah, the design document from. was uh, tweaked a little bit and toned back to be a little bit more standard. And then it was approved. And then it goes really downhill because a month <laughs> later, um, Universal decided, no, actually, we don't want that. <laughs> You know, the thing we decided on, we want it to be even more standard Spyro, you know, just like what we had before, but you have to include a team up of Nasty Nork and Ripto, and um, you. I know you already started, you're about two months into this project, but like, basically start over. That's cool. <laughs> um, they also sent uh, Ricky Rukovina in to act as a middleman, um, he was, he's actually credited as like one of the lead designers or the project director. And he was, you know, sort of managing between check six and universal. Um, there was some animosity between the team from what I gathered, but um, nothing. Mm, I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. But later on, I think people they've talked to Ricky more and been like, okay, you know, we understand what you did and that's totally fine. So there's no bad blood there as I understand it. Sure. God, it's just so frustrating to hear these stories after the fact and hear people like, yeah, we had you work on this thing that was your idea for a couple of months, and then we said no. Yeah. You don't get to have that. I could totally understand why there would be animosity and probably not great morale there. Yeah, this was um, around between two and four months into production. So, you know, they already had Ouch. a substantial part of the original pitch worked out and, like, started getting it closer to finalization but then they're like no you have to go back thankfully the second iteration focused on just freeing the baby dragonflies had ripto and nasty and then still incorporated a lot of ideas from the first iteration so they could reuse a lot of the stuff they'd already done but uh universal said uh actually um two months later they're like no we want to revise it again uh, they requested a bunch of changes. Uh, they talked it out with the team. 
and they ended up with a 208-page document outlining every new detail and feature and level and all that. And uh, Joel Goodsell paraphrased what he remembered them saying as, this is good, but it's just standard Spyro game design. What's special about it? Okay. Which, <laughs> if you, uh, you know, Universal says that, but then four months earlier they said, uh, we want it to be more standard Spyro. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Sounds about right. Cool, um, cool, cool. And since they had it in their contract that they had to have all their design documents signed off by Universal, they were so far in development that like they knew they just couldn't do most of the stuff in this design. So uh, Joel Goodsell wrote out a new design, like a completely new design that he knew just wasn't going to get read and taken seriously. And he wrote a 214-page design that was, and I quote, an epic Zelda-esque RPG light Spyro design. Uh, he sent that to Universal. Universal signed off on it in January of 2002 with no feedback. Uh, and then the game shipped in November. Ugh. So they signed off on it to fulfill the contract. And then, did, you know, whether that matched the actual game was not necessary. And then it just shipped in November. That is a, for people keeping track, that is a nine-month development cycle. (laughs) Well, it's nine months, but they had their project shifted out from under them many months in between. Oh, yeah, but I'm saying, like, from that point where they just decided, screw it, just uh, just, just write up a fake document, (laughs) Uh, to the point where they actually could, you know, work Mm -hmm. nine months. Maybe they had some stuff figured out before that, but nine months for new teams, relatively new teams, working on new hardware. Yes, and Check Six had no experience with the GameCube at all, and they were supposed to design a version for the GameCube. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they decided fairly early on that an Xbox version would have to be later, um, which eventually would get canceled after reviews of the game came out. They're like, okay, we're just not going to bother with an Xbox or PC version. Checks out. Um, also not helping this matter was Check 6 was actually divided in their time and resources because they also had a contract to work on a game known as Aliens Colonial Marines. Oh, yeah, that old gem. This was the original PS2 version before it was then picked up by Sega and Gearbox to do the PS3 and 360 version, which is widely panned. But Yeah, if you know um, anything about the development of that game, it's not good. Yeah, but they started that project and then uh, they were forced to pay Universal some dues due to not upholding their contract in some form. But after that and the uh, cancellation of Aliens, Check 6 just closed down. They had no funds left. That's so sad. Uh, Equinox was working on a prototype for Nintendo. I think commissioned by Nintendo is the vibe I got. Um, But Nintendo decided that they didn't want to pursue the project. They cut funding to it and then Equinox closed shortly after that. That's rough. Yeah, it's... It's brutal for those two teams because they were given, you know, a high expectations and not enough time or resources and then took the fallout for the game being bad. 
Yep, it's 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 tragic, and it very much feels like something that did not need to happen at all. It's, I mean, it's a classic case of publisher wanting game out for sales, and just you know, we've heard that story a lot if you pay attention to the industry stuff. Oh yeah, especially around this time when they're like, "Yeah, we want it out by Christmas," and then you're like, "Um, it's not going to be done by Christmas, but we'll try and get something." Mm-hmm. At the at the very least, it has somewhat of a happy story because uh, Joel Goodsell, who I've quoted a lot, and a lot of this came from this interview that he did with the site Wumpa Gem. I'll link it and the other part of that interview with um, Warren Davis. I'll link both of those in the description along with my other sources. Uh, but Joel Goodsell would later go on to work at Insomniac, which is a weird twist of fate. Uh, and he was a lead designer for the 2018 Spider-Man game. Good for him. Good that's for a, him. That's a glow up for sure. Yeah. And I think there's a part there where he said that him and his colleagues do joke about the fact that he did enter the dragonfly. Nice. But they seem to be in good spirits about it. This was also the last game to feature, uh, sort of getting more specific into the game. This was the last game to feature Stuart Copeland as a composer. Um, at least the last Spyro game, I didn't check for other things, but uh, he felt that the game was just not on the same page as the previous ones and was a different tone and just wasn't really what he wanted to do. So uh, he left the series after this game. Um, so this is the last one that features him. I'll leave an interview with him as well. Right. Um, and to segue off of that then... Um the music's the best part of the game <laughs> yeah it definitely feels like it uh, well actually y- you don't have a history of this one this is your first playthrough I will say we we are about to dig into this one. This is going to be like our Sonic 06 episode. This is not a good video game. There's not really any positives. <laughs> but I will say, I have a lot of nostalgia for it. I very distinctly remember the Christmas where I got this game and the PS2 as a kid. My parents had set up the PS2 and had this game running on it. So I woke up and, you know, walked up and there was Spyro into the Dragonfly on the TV. It was very exciting. That's definitely a cherished memory. Um, and it's definitely one of those things where... As a kid, you're not super discerning, because I loved that game. Never beat it, and never, you know, thought about why I never beat it until much later. But, but yeah, I do have fond memories of that, at least. There is some nostalgia there, for as bad as this thing is. That's something. Yeah, this was one that I had never heard about. Like, I had heard people sing praises of the original trilogy, and then I knew that the series kind of meandered and did some weird stuff, and then Spyro got absorbed into Skylanders, and that was about it. But yeah, I never knew the specifics, so when I started looking into this game before playing it, I was like, oh, it's gonna be one of those. (laughs) Um, So when I purchased it, I did purchase the GameCube version, because I heard it was the most stable and the most enjoyable. Um, It is. A word of warning to anybody um, who wants to go through hell and torture themselves, definitely grab the GameCube version. Yes, if you have the PS2 version has like a couple differences, but uh, it's not worth it. <laughs> no, no, it is not. 
Uh, I played the PS2 version, just so so we we covered our bases here. <laughs> yep. Um. Well, so let's, let's get into our, our general yeah, thoughts. What do you it. think? What do you think about this game? <laughs> it's a garbage fire. Also, how many times have you played this game? I have uh, played this game in recent years three times now. <laughs> don't at don't just don't. <laughs> I'm a don't very depressed that. and lonely person. Leave me alone. <laughs> um yeah this game is really bad and and i feel like it's really bad in not in a hyperbolic sense you know as we said in our sonic 06 episode i think i talked about how i think more people should play bad games every once in a while just to reset you know reframe what they call a bad game because that's you know a thing on the internet where people will overgeneralize and you know things that they just kind of don't like and call them bad this is one of those games where it's like no objectively this is a bad video game. Stop calling things you just don't like bad because stuff like this exists. Yeah, and that's not to say there isn't any redeeming qualities. It's just that as a whole, it is generally unpleasant. It is very bad. Um, the The first thing you'll notice is the loading screens, of which there are plenty, um, and how long they take, which is very long. And if you're playing on the <laughs> PS2 version, there's a chance it'll soft lock in a loading screen. <laughs> Which is great. Um, um, I did actually didn't think the loading screens were too bad on the so GameCube version. So that's the quirk of the GameCube version. Yeah, the PS2 ones, uh, especially the opening cutscenes, because they'll give you a loading screen between cutscenes. Yeah, that just doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, you will get a loading bar, and then it will go to a loading animation. So you get two loading screens in a row. I am convinced that first loading screen is just loading the second one. You can't tell me otherwise. And yeah, you get like two cutscenes in a row at the beginning of the game. So you get uh, two loading screens in between those cutscenes, which is very fun. Yeah, this is very Sonic 06, I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, there are some similarities. And yeah, the loading is really bad. Even the animations, when you get to the animated loading screens, those are also very bad. This this game has widescreen options, which I was utilizing for my playthrough. And it's very funny to watch the objects in the the backgrounds of these loading screens pop in. <laughs> And oh, because they didn't like account for a widescreen? Yeah, and also it's very obvious that the background um, skybox is just spinning around a still image of Spyro. If you're playing in widescreen, I feel like it's masked better in 4.3. But yeah, in widescreen you could totally tell it's just like, no matter what he's doing during those widescreens, if he's flying, if he's sitting on a boat or whatever, it's just clearly the background images are going around in a circle. Oof. The gameplay feel is very bad mostly down to the frame rate which is incredibly inconsistent it uh will hit up to 60 if you're not doing anything <laughs> um which it's... is honestly worse because when i was yes. um i was testing this on an emulator as well i played the game mainly on the actual gamecube plugged into a crt so that's why some of the visual quirks just didn't register as much for me um i tested this out on an emulator and I turned on the frame rate option so I could see what it was doing. It fluctuates between 30 and 60 a lot. And then if there's multiple things happening at once, then it'll dip to about 15, if not seven. I honestly think if they had just capped it at 30, it probably would have been more enjoyable. Oh yeah. It's the fl- those fluctuations are very noticeable, very obvious and, and pretty bad. Um, 
particularly if there's any sort of particle effects or alpha effects on screen, it just tanks it entirely. Which, you know, if you play the PS1 Spyro games, you're charging through gem containers and stuff like that, which are creating those, and so that's happening all the time. Also, you play as a character who, with a press of a button, can generate <laughs> particle effects. Yep. Yep, it will definitely convince you not to use the flame in this game. <laughs> it's pretty rough, and all those things are bad. The thing that I want to talk about, and it's not something you think about, because it's something that, honestly, you don't think about in games like this, but I want to talk about collectible placement. Because this is probably a prime example of why that's important and why it needs to be thought out nicely. Because the gem placement, which are kind of your all-over collectible for Spyro, as we had in the past games, are awful. (laughs) They're just littered all over the ground with no rhyme or reason. They don't do a good job of pulling your eye towards different sections of the level. They're tedious to walk up and collect, which is probably the biggest sin of this game, honestly, because... Picking up gems in the other games is fun and delightful. Here it is just kind of whatever. Even though it's, you know, largely using the same base of Sparks picking them up for you, it's just like zigzagging across the ground to pick them up isn't fun. Again, running through containers tanks the frame light. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's awful. And it's something that, like, it's not just a weirdo me who's played these games a thousand times. You brought this up to me. Yeah, we I, on my it. first playthrough, I was about, um... Uh, I was probably about halfway through the game and I'm like, oh yeah, no, this is exhausting. (laughs) Like, and this is, you know, coming off the original trilogy where uh, that game, you could argue that it also has fairly sporadic gem placement, but when you do get the gems, they're pretty condensed, usually within a radius that Sparks can pick them up in just like a couple of Spyro steps. Uh, They're also in a location, so you can get to, say, an island, and then there's gems on that island, but when you're going straight through the level, then the gems are in a straight line, or there's a line of containers, or, you know, there's something off to where you're going, and you can go that way. This feels like if you're going in a straight line, but instead of the straight line being in a direction... It is a lightning bolt pattern across the floor that also goes backwards slightly. <laughs> it's tedious. I mean, tedious is the right word for it. Like, it's it's not fun. It's It sucks. It, they don't do a good job of leading you to new areas, which that's, you know, that's the point of collectibles like this in a game like this, <laughs> is to be like, hey, look over here. There's, there's stuff. Yeah, even, even also on that note... This game commits what I think is should be a cardinal sin for any Spyro video game. It culls out the gems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, okay, to be fair, the original games culled out the gems as well. But they were very smart to not cull out the shining particle that is attached to the gem. So that no matter where you are in the level, you could see a glint off of a gem way far in the distance and be like, okay, I need to go over there. And that was very hard to pull off on the PS1. This game decided, no, I'm just going to cull them out because we need to save on resources. So you won't be able to see them until they're within your radius. So if you're looking over a big part of the level, one, the frame rate tanks. And then two, you can't actually see where the gems are. Yup. On that note, too, Moneybag shows up once. Yeah, what was with that? making the gyms once again feel pointless. 
I mean, it's very clearly, he was meant to show up more times. He's wearing a level-specific outfit, so it very much seems like he was meant to be in every level at one point. <laughs> yeah, but he shows up, takes 300 gems from you, and then you never see him again. <laughs> <laughs> yep. My favorite part about that, him taking 300 gems for you, by the way, um, and I don't know if it's like this on GameCube, um, but I noticed it this time around, is those 300 gems still get counted in your tally of gems um on the the pause screen um you know when you're leaving levels and stuff like that and i think in the atlas too but on your normal gem counter as you're playing the game they don't so it's an inconsistent number and it bugs the out of me (laughs) yeah and there's you know you literally see him the once and after you pay him then he either just stands around or he's gone i honestly can't remember but there's no way to get those 300 gems back, unlike Spyro 2 and 3, where after you beat the game, you can get the gems back. This doesn't do that. <laughs> he just holds on to 300 gems and then makes your numbers all wonky. Yep. it's it's a, it's a, It was a very smart element of the original trilogy that they it was not utilized correctly here. Yeah, so hearing that the gems are pretty much pointless, then you're like, okay, why do I have to care about the gem placement if I if they're not necessary? Um, and that's fair. Just don't. <laughs> Unless yep, you're completing don't. the game, don't bother with the gems. Don't. And we'll talk about this when we get into this specific spoilery section. But um, the reward for completing this game is not a reward. It's a punishment. <laughs> <laughs> it um, does punish you for 100%ing it. <laughs> so don't bother. For full transparency here, the other two times I've played this game in, in recent memory, not when I was a kid, I've 100%ed it. This time, I broke. Guys, I broke. I... I was doing the platforming challenge in one of the last games, or one of the last levels, and I failed it and realized, oh, that was like 20 minutes. I don't want to do that again. Never mind. Sorry. I'm just going <laughs> to run through the rest of this game and finish it up. And that's completely fair, because for this review, I did 100% complete it. I did not have a good time 100% completing it, um, which, you know, for 100% completing a game, th- there's some things that you kind of expect are not going to be the best you know i didn't fully enjoy every single aspect of spyro 3's completion but this just felt like it was a chore to get through and then completing it was even more of a chore full stop the worst parts of spyro 3 are better than the best parts of this game (laughs) yeah i mean that's almost true i think there's some that like and this is sort of my overall feeling of this game. When this game works and in its best moments, at its best, it feels like a weaker version of Spyro 1. Oh, I disagree. I think this feels like a weaker version of Spyro 3. <laughs> and I think yeah, of that just in a any lot of, of the classic trilogy games. It feels yeah. like at its best, at its core, platforming, just moving through the level, fighting enemies, that kind of deal. At its very best, it feels like a worse version of any of the trilogy games. I So I say Spyro 3 because, like, with the exception of one, one level, maybe two, technically, every other level in this game is pulled from Spyro 3, theme-wise. <laughs> every other one. It, it all feels lesser. <laughs> like, it feels like a lesser copy. Like, you got your, you know, your, like, country-level... Which feels like Country Speedway. You got your, you know, your uh, dojo level, which feels like 
some of the stuff from Spyro 2 and 3. Uh, you got your, you know, your ice level. You got your, you got, the one that kills me, because it's kind of a cool level idea, is the honey, honey, um, the honey marsh level, which is like this area that's stormy and has rivers of honey, which is a cool level idea, but that comes from a Spyro 3 speedway. <laughs> like, it's yeah, just... It's wild. It's derivative in a way that, like, I can't get behind. Yeah, and it feels really weird because it does feel like you're just exploring a Spyro 3 level, but just it's way... It's bigger, first of all, but it's just way less enjoyable. There's very little platforming in the main levels. Um, I say in the main levels because there are some sub-areas that are nothing but platforming, and they are awful. Awful. But... In the main levels, there's very little... It's mostly flat. There's very little, like, failure. And you're just kind of moseying on through at your slow pace. Yeah, it's it's a case, though, where, like, these remind me of 3. Like, in a lot of ways, because they're direct callouts. But while 3's levels were some of the best-designed Spyro levels in the entire series, these levels are the worst. <laughs> Like, sure, they all pretty much all loop back w- within to each other, but they're not fun to explore. You're right. They're very big. They're the biggest levels in the series so far. But they're only big because we get, like, open spiral area and then long hallway and then another open spiral area and then another long hallway. Like, they're not creatively designed or interesting. I don't think any of the sub-games are fun. <laughs> like, any of them. Including the returning speedways. In a way, I feel like having the level themes be derivative of 3 is worse than if they were original. Because then it reminds you, oh yeah, there is a better game that I could be playing. Yep. I think about uh, Cloud 9 in this game, comparing it to Cloud Spires in in Spyro 3. It's just like, it's no contest. It's ridiculous. It's so unfortunate. And yeah, like all the sub games are are bad. Yeah, there's they range from um, mindless to confusing to actually infuriating. And unlike some of the other games, specifically like Spyro One, where the speedways were their own level, um, or in like Three, where there's like one area in a level, and then sometimes there's also a separate level. Uh, all of these are just sub-areas within levels. So there's only eight levels in the game, nine if you count the final boss. But then there's 18 or 16 sub-areas throughout the game. And you're right, none of them are fun. None of them are fun. None of them. At best, they are completely forgettable. None of the playable characters make a return from Spyro 3. One of them actually, in an infuriating way, gets not even a reference, but, like, one of the very, very side characters does for some reason. Yeah, it's... Um, it's talking the, about Bentley over here. Yeah, it's Bentley's brother shows up, doesn't he? Yep. No mention of Bentley. <laughs> it's wild. No Agent 9. No Sheila. No Sergeant Bird. No yeah, Aurora. Bianca nope. and Hunter return, but... That's that's it. There's a balloon of the sorceress. That doesn't count. And then Nasty Nork gets mentioned. That doesn't count. Yep, we get Ripto, Gulp, and, and Crush. And Yeah, you want to talk about the story real quick? Because it's not long. Uh, 
so at the beginning of the game, they're chilling. Hunter gets scared by a sorcerer's balloon, which is why. Um, and he looks awful. <laughs> um, yeah, they're they're celebrating something to do with the dragonflies. I honestly couldn't tell you. They're um, celebrating the ceremony that the baby dragons that you rescued in three are receiving their dragonflies. Okay, I want to talk about this then. They're doing that. Fine. Cool, 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 cool. Celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. Um, if we were doing that to celebrate, I don't know, some new baby's birth or whatever, and we put up a statue of, I don't know, say Hitler, an evil dif- dictator, like as a fun balloon? <laughs> like, why is the sorceress in a balloon? <laughs> hey, look, it's the person who kidnapped you as babies. <laughs> She's awful. She's awful. She's a villain. Also, there's 150 dragons... 151 if you count yin and yang as two different dragons um there's only 90 dragonflies in this game (laughs) oh some of the dragons just aren't aren't worth it (laughs) 61 of the dragons are not worth it or fifth yeah 61 of the dragons are not worth it no um yeah so they're celebrating that then goddamn this game ripto shows up and you're like cool ripto's great i love ripto and in part two he's the best villain honestly he's he's super fun uh he looks awful <laughs> he looks awful he doesn't have the same fun energy honestly like it again feels like a watered down version of him crush and gulp speak which is weird <laughs> for some and reason I don't like it um they even Spiral. up the the like the lore stuff that i praised last time around where there was kind of a consistency in and lore and stuff where like ripto references like how they were begging for work from one of the Spyro 2 worlds, but if you remember the Spyro 2 world, Avalar was not really known to the dragons, so that's that's confusing. It doesn't make sense timeline-wise. I know who gives a Spyro. about this but me, but I do. I really do. Well, Ripto was not from the dragon worlds. No. So he Neither. could pull them there. Yo, but he talks about Magna, Magna Court from Spyro 2, where crush and gulp or begging for work from nasty nork for some reason but how would nasty nork know about it yeah that's well the dragons were kind of on the other side of the world and not really tuned into things so maybe that's true maybe nasty nork knew about avalar i don't know i think it's poorly thought out <laughs> because it's not thought out it's not thought out at all somebody just went here's a random level <laughs> let's reference it yeah, they show up and they're like, Ripto's evil plan is to steal the dragonflies for some reason. Um, he Spyro. set up because he's an idiot and he just teleports them all <laughs> to different places. Yeah, um, well, you Well, it's Bianca, that... right? Bianca meddles or something? I don't no, know. No, his scepter just messes up and he's bad at magic. But they don't actually say that until halfway through the game. <laughs> yes. It's wild because Ripto shows up and he teleports all the uh, dragonflies away and you think, oh, he's captured them. But he didn't because they're just roaming around the hub world and whatever. And then halfway through the game, you get another cutscene that's like, oh, no, the dragonflies are gone. We've teleported them to someplace else. We should send the Riptox after them. After we've been collecting these guys for like four hours. Yeah, after you have about like 55 of them already. (laughs) So then this game does a thing where... He does that, all the dragonflies disappear, including Sparks. And you're like, oh man, that's kind of interesting. We lost Sparks. That's 
what a unique novel thing for this game. Cool. That's definitely going to raise the stakes. That's a character, you know, we care about. That's our health bar. So is that going to be stressful for the first bit of this game? I assume we'll find him, but yeah. Nope. The next cutscene loads and all of our main characters run like literally five feet. Like the area they go to this cutscene is like behind them. And, and Sparks is just chilling there. And it makes no sense. Nobody says why they knew he was there. He's just there. It's like completely pointless that he disappeared at all. And that's pretty much the setup for the narrative. We gotta go find these dragonflies because Ripto wants them for some undisclosed reason. I think he wants them because they can act as health bars for the dragons. So if they're gone, then the dragons are easier to defeat. I don't know. There's like three total dragons in this game. So. <laughs> three adult dragons. And then there's the presumably 151. Yeah. In one level, dragons. which again, talking about the lore stuff, they're in the dragon realms again, supposedly, I guess, even though there are levels here that are clearly from Spyro. the forgotten realms or whatever. And there's only a handful of dragons here. What happened guys? <laughs> what happened? Uh, they're off screen. Oh, <laughs> Might as well be. Uh, yeah, there's a bit where Bianca gives Spyro breath powers, but, like, it's doesn't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter, which is, again, frustrating, because, like, not a bad idea. Cool. What a way to extend the gameplay a bit. Giving you breath powers, right? We already did the head bash. We already did the climbing and the swimming, and you get all those from the beginning of this game, just like in three neat new breaths. We get, you know, ice breath, which we got to play around in, in uh, Frozen Altars in the third game, which was great. You know, like freezing the NPCs to act as like steps. That's that's a great idea. You know, expand on that. Sure, that makes sense for a sequel. And it is almost useless. <laughs> like, like you need to use it in a couple of instances. You need to use the ice breath again to freeze the baby dragons to jump on them um, for for a light puzzle there. I think that's there's a gate you have to open in the hub world with it. But I think that may be the only instance where you need to use the ice breath. <laughs> Uh, you use it in the last level to defeat the Terminator w ones in the lava. Okay, I ran past all that. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah, it's a side thing. Um, you get the bubble breath, which is what you use to capture the dragonflies, which is the most inconsistent thing in this game. It sucks. Okay, the, the bubble breath, yeah, it sucks to actually catch them because it just does not want to collide sometimes. Um, but you can't that's all it's used for. It's only used to collect dragonflies. Yep. Mm -hmm. Which is messed up because it's a bubble breath. So you, theoretically, you should be able to use it underwater. Like, wouldn't it be cool if that was like, you can't use any of your other breaths underwater, but you can use this one. And like, it's useless on land, but it's helpful in water. Instead, it just doesn't, it just also doesn't work underwater. <laughs> There's a lot of cool things they could do. I mean, you know, talking about that Zelda-inspired design doc, what a fun, like, you can introduce puzzles that are, that don't suck. <laughs> you know, using these elemental breaths. Like, it, there's lots of things that could have been done. I think the last one we didn't mention is the electric breath, which is, does what it says. There's, like, electric pylons you can activate with it in these terrible platforming minigames. <laughs> the electric breath, I think, became my preferred one. If only because I feel, and I don't actually know if this is true, I feel like it has a longer hitbox. I also used it a lot because I feel, again, 
feel I did not have a frame rate count on my screen that it produces less <laughs> um, particle effects. Yeah, that could be too. Yeah, so you get these breaths and they're basically completely underutilized. Uh, the ice breath actually ends up being really frustrating because it doesn't kill enemies on contact, it just freezes them. <laughs> so you never want to use it, basically. Yeah, it's um, it's a wasted potential for sure. I'm going to introduce a new segment. Are uh, you ready for this? Yeah, I'm uh, ready. Let's, let's go to Glitch Town. Oh, <laughs> you get any fun Glitch glitches? Um, I had some fun glitches. Uh, I had, right in the first stage, the first time I tried to talk to Moneybags, um, he soft-locked my game. Because <laughs> his dialogue wouldn't start, and Spyro just sat there, and I couldn't control him anymore. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yep, had to reset the game. That's fun. I was able to reproduce that on PS2, so not a version exclusive thing. <laughs> not a version specific glitch. It just happens. Nope. I had a really fun one um, where I, I, uh, we had we had found cheat codes to give us the treasure checker. Which, as somebody again who played this game as a kid, this is my third full playthrough of it as an adult. Had no idea the treasure checker was in this game. It desperately needed it. Um, yeah, well, and that messes me up because to unlock the the gem finder, you know, like you had in Reignited Trilogy and Spyro 3. Um, and 2. And 2. Uh, it is in this game. You just have to beat the final boss once and then nothing in the game tells you that it's unlocked. Mm-hmm. And then in the GameCube version, you have to hold L and R and then push up on the D-pad and then in the PS2 version, you have to push L3 and R3. Great. Um, yeah. So anyway, I was trying to activate that via cheat code. It didn't work. I don't know. Who's to say why? Maybe it's me. Maybe I put something in wrong. Or maybe the game just sucks and is skipping frames and eating inputs, which I'm just going to guess that's what it's doing. And I was like, whatever, this doesn't work. Right below it was a cheat code that was like, make sparks purple. <laughs> And I was like, sure, why not? And so I did that. A, he doesn't look purple to me. He looks blue, but whatever. So he's basically permanently blue now. Even when I shut off the game and, and came back to it later, he was still blue. Um, I assume putting in that cheat code again would have fixed that, but I was just too lazy at that point. <laughs> I didn't care. So I just played with blue sparks the entire time, which was great because I couldn't tell how much health I had. <laughs> um, oh, very fun. Yeah, so that's cool. And uh, I reloaded into Monkey Monastery which is a later level in the game, and uh, Sparks had a Sparks had a an accident where oh yep <laughs> I don't know how to describe this, but like his polygons basically got stretched out to this like fan pattern. Um, <laughs> oh um, my god! I posted a little video of it on my Twitter if you want to check it out, but like it's just this giant object that keeps whipping around in front of the camera where he flies to because it's not like he didn't break his flight or anything. So it's just this like stretched out polygons somewhere on Sparks. And then if you pause the game because Sparks, you know, much like the prior games, acts as like the little menu icon thing, that still exists in the menus. So you just get these like, almost like they look like Persona menus a little bit. 
<laughs> it just like covers your screen in blue and different gradients of blue. It's very dumb looking. So that was fun. Um, I had another glitch where, and this was just inconsistent. Sometimes the metal jars, you know, the ones you charge into, um, sometimes they had sound effects and particle effects. Uh, that happened to me probably about three out of every single jar. <laughs> yep. Yep. Sometimes they just vanish. Yeah, sometimes you still get the gem, but there's no sound effect and there's no particle effect and no indication that you actually broke it. You just get a gem. Yep. The fairies in the game, they still zap you. Uh, they don't actually save the game when they do that. Mm-hmm. Which is real fun because, again, as we said, these levels are real big and boring to run through. So when you don't get that checkpoint you thought you had and you had to run back, it's just, it's just nice. You know, it's just nice that the game is reminding you it sucks. <laughs> um, two of the Dragonfly name voice clips didn't load for me. Uh, and that's on top of all of the other inconsistencies with them. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them, Spyro verbally said, hey, it's Karen. And then the screen said, Rhett. <laughs> um, another one. Uh, some dragonfly name at the end of it he said tim for no reason and i was like that's weird and then later on when i found this dragonfly named tim he said tim but there was a really obvious audio crop with it (laughs) that's nice um i had several moments where i fell through the floor (laughs) that's just a classic yeah that's great Again, I already mentioned the soft lock in the loading screens. Another, another classic, and the uh, talking to an NPC locking you up. Uh, the game absolutely eats your inputs sometimes. Um, there were definitely cases where I ran to the edge of a platform ready to jump off, and it just didn't. It just didn't happen. Oh yeah, that <laughs> um, happened to me as well. Falling to my death, which is always great. Uh, it's uh, generally a nightmare. <laughs> There's a series of platforms in Luau Island that you actually they don't stop you from gliding over top of them mm-hmm. so if you don't cancel your glide then you just glide right over top of them they just slide right off I distinctly remember those as a kid being absolutely awful and also that dragonfly at the end of those is one of the most inconsistent ones to catch in the whole game oh yeah um, so if you don't figure that out it, you know you eventually get it after trial and error, then you get a dragonfly that's almost impossible to catch. It's uh, it's great. Let's see. Also, the the hover move makes a return. Uh, it doesn't work. Um, it it works. It just it doesn't carry you as forward as it should. So it's very hard to actually time, um, especially in the level thieves den where you just um, the level's so dark that you can't actually see where the edge of the platforms are. I had to turn the brightness up on my TV to be able to see it. Oof. We we mentioned the dragonfly names. <laughs> Those are great because they're very clearly, a lot of them are just placeholders that they ran out of time. And we're just like, here, Tom Candy, just read these. <laughs> um, there's a couple in there that you're like, there's one that's like, what is it? It's a Star Wars reference. It's like, it's Tossy Station, which is not a name. Tashi Station. Yeah, all one word. Uh, that's his first name is Tashi Station. Uh-huh. There's just a lot in there that's just nonsense. There are references. Some of them are named after old, 
Greek philosophers like Plato. Sure. Um, some of them are named after Matrix characters, mm-hmm. uh, like Morpheus and Neo. Uh, yeah, it's wild. We didn't mention it, but the last power-up you get in this game is called the Wing Shield, and it is awful. You only need to use it against one enemy type in the whole game, and it is the worst. The idea is that you can reflect projectiles sent at you, um, but it gives you no indication of where those projectiles are being reflected to. And you need to hit the enemy who's reflecting them with you because they're invincible for some unexplained reason. They, you know, look like a lot of the other enemies in the environment, so there's, like, why are they invincible? But whatever, you need to hit them with their own projectiles, but it's, like, super hard to tell how to hit them. Yeah, it's very it's trial and error. Yeah, it's, it sucks. How you get those power-ups, by the way? Uh, well, the wing shield, also I want to point out, at least in the GameKeep version, uh, you have to hold L and R to you know put up the wing shield uh r brings up your inventory and l changes what breath you have equipped so every time you want to use the wing shield it brings up the inventory and cycles what breath you're using that's cool it's really very cool very cool so the thing that kills me about the the you know we talked about the gym placements about the power-up placements too the the new breaths you acquire they're these like stones you get and then you can put them into a dragon statue in the hub world, and you know they grant you the the new bar- the new abilities. They're treated like gems, like they're just put randomly out in the open of levels. They're not used as rewards or for you know completing epic challenges or whatever to get them. They're just thrown on the ground. <laughs> yeah, I honestly thought it was a fluke the first time because you find the what is it the lightning breath in Dragonfly Dojo, and it's sitting like off to the side just kind of in the weeds <laughs> like this can't be right it awaits yeah. you that like it can be missed <laughs> yeah and then you just can't progress because you need the lightning to open a gate in the hub world it's so dumb it's wild <laughs> like why is that like that <laughs> yeah it was one that i actually missed the ice breath rune the first time i went through cloud nine and had to look up where it was to go back and find it because I just didn't. I just didn't pick it up. Yeah, it's it's wild. <laughs> like, like they could be potentially you know cool rewards, but nah, <laughs> we ain't doing that. All right, um, we're gonna be a little more specific. Um, covered up, I guess, story stuff if you care. This game has one twist and it's hilarious. <laughs> so there's <It> that. <laughs> uh, I mean, technically. So we're going to move on to that. Okay, um... Before we talk about the final boss fight, let's be positive and then negative. What was the best minigame area? Um, the best minigame area was the uh, honey slide. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> that is the correct answer. It is easy enough not to be super frustrating, but kind of fun, I guess. I died a couple times on it, but that was partly because like, the camera was just weird. I couldn't see where I was going. But in a way that I was like, you know, okay, <laughs> this is fine. Uh, plus, that's probably my favorite music track in the game is the Honey Slide, so. 
Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, now, this one's a lot harder. What's the worst one? Oh, this one's this one's easy. It is the Tower of Scary and Ridiculous Heights. The one where you're climbing up the tower and you can't see where the, uh, the obstacles are going to hit you and their timing is awful so you can't actually slip past them and it takes mm-hmm. way too long. If you fall, if you get hit, you fall and then you get trapped in a stun lock until you die and um, the arrows are just impossible to see. The boulders, their hitbox doesn't actually go all the way to the edge so you can just slip past the side of them. Uh, yeah, that's easily the worst one. <laughs> That one's pretty bad. I've always had a, a soft spot. What's the opposite of a soft spot? Um, just a, like a hatred puddle. Uh, or, <laughs> or the slide in Monkey Monastery. The ice slide? Yeah. It, um, at least on PS2, you were saying you didn't have this problem. It will just like randomly give you a bunch of momentum and send you flying off into a random direction. Which is great. Uh, cool feature. Um... <laughs> yeah i did not have that issue at all rules um i love that uh more of that and the other one i have a the other hatred puddle in my heart i have is for the the um tiki drums in the uh the tropical level um luau island yeah that's fair that i've heard some people just write down the patterns because they're so long and i remember doing that um last time i played this not this time and part of it, to be fair, is just my brain is not wired that way. I was never good at doing the like whole memorize a string of numbers thing, so maybe that's it. I don't know. I Spyro. hate it though. <laughs> it sucks. You can't look up the pattern; it's randomized. Yeah. So I it's just miserable. I failed on the third section once, and then the second time I got it, it just put the A button four times in a row. So yeah, I was like, "Oh, you this can is get actually lucky." Yeah, this is better. Uh, that's the only reason I passed it. If I had failed again, I probably would have start, started writing them down. Yeah, it's um, not fun, that one. Uh, also, shout out, the hatred puddle I have for the minigame is uh, Wizard's Platform Maze <laughs> in Thieves' Den. Yep, uh, it the is, one that broke me. <laughs> it's so awful. Uh there's just a bunch of rotating rings of platforms and you have to land on every platform and zap one of the electric poles and you have to do every single platform. And if you fall, which is very easy to do because the camera doesn't always show you where the platforms are. And if you use the hover, then you just have to slowly kind of fall to your death. Yeah. That one's easily just other than the tower of scary and ridiculous heights. That one's just the worst well that's not all with that one that one starts too if you do it multiple times with the most tedious section of the wheel uh the rotating wheel that you have to electrify all of them that's like rotating a big orc so you basically have to electrify one jump off wait for it to come back around electrify the next one keep doing it there's like five or six of them yeah i found that one easier to just jump backwards in the way it's rotating and you oh, can always no, just yeah, jump totally jump to it's, the previous platform it's easy. It's just tedious. <laughs> it's yeah. And if you mess up, you have to do it all again. The ones that are just easy. The, well, there's one that's easy and tedious, and that's the UFO herding. I also hated that as a kid. Yeah, you have to pilot a UFO and pick up the cows and put them in the in the pen, uh, all while another UFO is also trying to, but it's very slow. 
yeah, which the first one of those pretty easy, pretty fine, like whatever. Yeah, it it takes a little bit, but it's not awful. The second one, they throw gold UFOs that are only there to shoot you and make you drop the cows. It sucks. It's, it's so frustrating because they could just shoot you, and you're like, ah oh, man, now I have to spend the an additional like ten to fifteen seconds picking up this cow again, and then they shoot you while it's going up. You have to do it again and again. Ugh. Yeah, those ones are, that one's tedious and easy. Uh, ones that are just easy are the plain minigames. Oh yeah, those are just like, whatever. They give you, you could spam the hell out of the rockets and just <laughs> destroy everything. It's like, okay, cool, I'm done. Yep, that second tank mission though, in the honey level. <laughs> There's another hatred puddle. Um, I hate that thing so much. The one where they time you. And you have to kill all these bees, and it's a linear path, so if you missed one, um, you failed, basically. Yep. That that one sucks. Uh, I was able to do that one first try, but yeah, I was very worried the whole time. Yeah, uh, I had multiple tries on that one. All the speedways in this game are terrible. Yeah, they're... I mean, they're not... They're honestly probably the better of the sub-areas... Yeah. They're not great, but like the they still do the Spyro 3 thing where they tell you the order that they're supposed to go in, which is annoying. But then yeah, the timing's really inconsistent for some of the enemies and obstacles. Um but shout out to the track enemies in Oasis Speedway. They are these two-legged camels. Uh, they look really goofy when they're running. The best part about them is they have no sound effects programmed for them. <laughs> yep. None at all. They're great. Um, you, collide, you collide with them, they bounce off, that's it. <laughs> shout out to the music in that area because if you spend a lot of time in that area because it's hard doing the race in particular, the music kind of just fades out and then you get this... Spyro! I, just guitar, like a couple of guitar... Not even riffs, just notes played over and over and over again, and it makes it's just like it's it's insane. Like, are you sure it didn't bug out? I that's what happened to me. I was just stuck there listening to these like three guitar notes over and over again. Yeah, I either just didn't notice or it didn't happen to me. The music does just not loop properly, though. No, which to be fair, the original trilogy also doesn't loop. Which is like one of the most annoying things about that. Um, the music just ends and then it starts up again. But, um, you know, I don't know what the problem is there with that. It was fixed and reignited. Um, but this one, it's it's pretty egregious. Which is a shame because the music is definitely the best part of the game. Also, massive shout out uh, to the Hatred puddle, puddle for the enemies in Thieves' Den that you can fire off the edge and lose their gems. Yeah, what is with that? That, that level has the walking gems where they're like the gems that are animated and they walk away from you uh they put some on high up platforms over bottomless pits so if you flame them and the knockback doesn't go your way then there they go and they take the gem with them i'm pretty sure they're the only enemies that give you gems once the body despawns instead of right when you kill them and i think that's why because you could just send the body off the edge which most enemies you just yep. get the gem right away so it's just this really yep. frustrating game of like, okay, are you next to the edge? No? Okay, good. Flame. <laughs> like, it just sucks. Yeah, that one I did knock a couple off the edge and had to restart the stage to get them. Cool idea. 
I like the concept. Yeah, it's but... just something that should never happen in a Spyro game. <laughs> yep. One thousand percent. So the uh in quote twist I'm mentioning is if you get a hundred percent and you go to the boss battle, which you, by the way, the higher percentage you have, the more rounds the boss battle you have, which is the punishment I was talking about earlier because it's not a good boss fight. Yeah, if you if you face Ripto at less than 85% completion, then you only get phase one and then the game ends. And that's a blessing because the first phase is you only do one. Um, if you have between 85 and 100%, you get the second phase, which is the same as the first phase. Mm-hmm. And then if you get 100%, you get the third phase. And I will say, before we talk about the third phase, the the best strategy for Repto, if you're having trouble, which is understandable because the game is unfair, because the camera doesn't work and he can just unlock you and kill you, just run at him, charge at him immediately, and never stop charging at him. Um, if you charge at him and, and flame him with the required flame breath, again, one of the only min- moments where the, um, the alternate breaths are actually used, he will never hit you. <laughs> so... Just immediately, once he runs away, charge at him. This was the only part of the game that I got a game over at, and then after that, I was like, oh, you could just make it so that he never attacks by just constantly charging at him. Yep, it turns it into a complete joke. Um, the third boss, the third phase of this fight is very funny, because he turns into a troll monster. Out of, like, yeah. nowhere. <laughs> yeah, what's up with this? Like, I don't know. There's never any hint that this is, like, presumably you were saying maybe he's getting the dragonflies because they're protecting the dragons. Maybe it was so he could become this monster? I don't know why he doesn't have the dragonflies at this point. Yeah, because you've 100 percent at the game. You have all 90 dragonflies. It just comes out of nowhere. <laughs> he just becomes this ugly-ass troll thing, and it sucks. His design is terrible. <laughs> It's just, it's so dumb looking. <laughs> no idea where that comes from. Yeah, maybe he needs the dragonflies to contain this dark form. Oh my god, it's Since awful. he's so bad at magic. This phase is also really unfair. Yeah, it sucks. You could use this ground slam attack, and if your camera's not pointed the right way, you won't see it, and you just jump weird, and yeah, it's that one, that fight's not great. Yeah, and then you beat him in credits roll and you don't get an end cutscene, so screw you. No, you do get an end cutscene for 100%. Oh, what is um, it? I don't remember. It's with, they just uh, continue the ceremony, they give the baby dragonflies, or the baby dragons their dragonflies, and then I think Hunter says something like, oh, things are finally gone back to normal, eh? And then Spyro looks at the camera and winks. Cool. Yep, that's about it. <laughs> okay. That's a thing. That's what you get for 100%. By the way, if you're curious, Hunter does show up periodically throughout this game again to hold hostage dragonflies from yeah, me. Yeah, what is with to Hunter, do his chores. Man. Come on. Which is, you know, fine. Yeah, just last boss fight is underwhelming and weird and unfair in just multiple ways. Fun fact, uh, speedrunners have figured out that if you do a head bash in a particular spot next to that portal where the boss fight is, you can just go through the ground and, and fight the boss right away. Yeah, that's why speedruns for this game are like less than tw- less than 10 minutes. Yeah, it's great.
Is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, just the general lack of polish that this game received. And we went through the development history. There's a good reason why this game is the way it is. It's just so frustrating that it is the way it is. Because you could tell that they def they wanted to do the series justice, like the developers themselves. Um, in some of the research I was doing, they uh, said that they had their game and Year of the Dragon booted up at the same time because Universal wouldn't give them any of Insomniac's uh, assets. So they didn't have anything to go off of. So they just had Year of the Dragon booted up next to theirs to try and get the movements to match and the speed to feel right. And like that level of care would have been really great in a Spyro sequel if they were given time to actually go through with that. Yeah, I mean, again, just to reiterate, I, you know, nobody blames the developers here. Um, You can point the middle finger squarely at Vivendi Universal. And that's, you know, nine times out of ten, and probably more than that, actually, when you got a bad game like this, it's always the people at the top, right? The the developers just want to make something cool. You know, they don't want to be caught up in stuff like this and having to rush a, a game and it's it's always really unfortunate and it's you know you can, you can't really blame them for this stuff it's not their fault you know i do believe they care they don't want to put their name on something bad they want to make a fun thing they want to you know it's it's a children's game they want to delight children who doesn't want that <laughs> like it's it sucks it just sucks the whole thing happened and that you know that design the the sort of negativity and badness of the whole thing permeates through everything um, you know, much like when we talked about Sonic 06, there's a contingent of people who do believe that if you fix the glitches, it would make this game good. Um, you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but as somebody who's played that game three times in recent years, that is not true. Uh, the way this game is designed isn't good, and it totally comes from the rush development, right? Like, these larger areas that don't have proper segues into each other, so they just put linear, small hallways in between them, totally come across as, like, we don't know what to do, just put something in. You know, these dragonfly names that clearly are a placeholder, all the bugs, everything like that, only having eight real levels. The gem placement that is just, like, they took a handful and just threw it at the level. The gem placement, the pacing of the narrative, which is to say almost non-existent. Um, or backwards. It's, you know, money bags showing up once. It is very clearly all, all casualties of a rushed Spiral. development. And I feel for everybody, for all the developers involved, I do not feel bad for anybody of the Universal who made their lives hell. You know, I it is, it is unfortunate and it is important to remember when we talk about bad games like this, it's not... Most likely, it is not the people who created it who who got it here. Um, you know, it's it's just an unfortunate nightmare. They made it from nothing into this with ver- with a lot of things in their way, and that's to be celebrated. Yeah, it's a miracle this game exists in as good of a state as it does, considering yeah, everything. I, I was able to 100% complete it, and that's something. <laughs> it's got to be worth something. But yeah, th- I, that's sort of the general feeling for this game, is that... It's so unpolished that it's not really worth playing. Um, you know, some games like Sonic 06, they're they're funny in how bad they are. Like, how did it get this bad? 
this one just feels like you're sludging through a like an entire swimming pool of molasses the whole way through. So yeah, it's definitely one that is not even a good bad recommendation. It's just bad. What do you think the for recommendation on this one? Unless you're somebody who wants to experience a truly bad game to reset your frame of mind, which I do think is valuable, but I cannot recommend people play this for enjoyment, especially if you, I don't know, maybe played Spyro Reignited in recent years and want more. This is not the way to go. Yeah, or a week <laughs> previous. <laughs> yeah, um, no, this game is just flat out bad. It's not, there's no saving it. There's no, you know, it's, like, even the positives are, are mired in, in weird stuff, like the music. Um, it's just, it's it's unfortunate on pretty much every level. Um, it, it's, you know, it's, it just sucks. Now, <laughs> like, I do think just... there is some saving it. And hear me out. In order to save this game, you would have to rewrite a lot of it. So, obviously, not going to happen and is not something that people really care to do. But there are some interesting ideas that I feel like could have worked. You know, there's the breath abilities, I think, is a neat idea. They weren't utilized here, but the idea of using that as an extension of Spyro's moveset to sort of flesh that out isn't is a neat idea. It just isn't put to good use. And I feel like that like that's kind of how I feel about a lot of it, where it's like the parts that I could see promise in are just being wasted. And then everything else is just a worse version of Spyro three. Sure. But what you're talking about is a new game. <laughs> like what you're talking about is pulling elements and ideas from this, which are good and putting them in something better. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> you know, not to hijack your, your train of thought there, but like it is very much like this game in particular, like I don't think if somebody polished up this game, removed all the bugs and all the glitches, it would still be a mediocre Spyro game. At the end At of the best, day, yeah. the way collectibles are placed, the way challenges work, the way the story is just not there, it is, it is, yeah, again, it would be mediocre at best. Yeah, there's so much work that would have to be done to make this a better game, let alone a good game, that it's just not, it's just not worth it at that point. Like, make your own thing. Yeah, um, you know, it, you know, if they wanted to pull, like, this was very much my pitch for what a potential Spyro Four could be. Like, like, yeah, pull the the breath idea. It's a good idea, you know. Pull the original idea of like it's not the original idea, the second idea of like having Nasty Nork and Ripto come back and team up. Like, cool, that's that's neat, sure. But like, I don't know, man. Like, it's just like this game in particular. Like, people wanted this game to get reignited treatment, and I just can't. I cannot see this being good after that, you know, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'd play it and be like, okay, actually, this is good. There is something here, but I just, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, let's segue into our recommended viewing. Yes. If you want to play a version of this game that runs smoother, <laughs> maybe you don't like, you know, 30 to 7 FPS. Um, there is a video that Dolphin on their on the dolphin youtube channel they posted enter the dragonfly running at 60 frames per second on an overclocked dolphin uh dolphin has an actual overclock option in its settings um i tested this out for myself and couldn't quite get the same results as they did 
Um, and I have a fairly decent computer, so, but it still dipped to like 30 on occasion, uh, just to show how unpolished this game is. But, uh, it's an interesting video, at least to see what this game would look like if it was running smoothly. Yeah. Um, and then to further back on to our last point, we might actually get the chance to test out this game's quality in a better setting, uh, due to a mod that is in development for, for the PC version of Reignited. Somebody is creating, you know, basically rebuilding into the Dragonfly levels. You know, no official word on when that'll be out. I put in like a like a little teaser here from a YouTuber um, from a year ago. Um, but I think the same YouTuber posted screenshots not that long ago too. Um, so, you know, it's in development and that, that'll be interesting to see and actually test that theory. You know, I wonder how much of it they'll be able to recreate given all the bespoke minigame stuff. But it'll be interesting at the very least. And then if you want a Spyro game that does what should be done with this game which is just make a new game uh you could check out this one <laughs> yeah i threw in here um it's only a demo and you know it's it's an indie dev 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 <laughs> it's an indie developer um so you know i don't know what it'll be out it might never be out um but it's a game called zora miss awaken i highly recommend people check it out it's a itch.io page you can play a demo now um, it started its life as a Spyro fan game. I think they even called it, I think, yeah, I think they even called it Spyro 4, Myths Awaken. And it is amazing. It recreates the PS1 style of graphics, like, almost perfectly. It's really beautiful. And um, it was in development for a while. Activision ceased and desisted it, as is the way with these things. And so they pivoted and um, made their own unique character. Um, but the, the, the demo still has a lot of Spyro feel. There's a lot more focus on the platforming, on the challenge of platforming in particular. So if that's something you missed from these games, this has that. It's got some new moves and stuff like that. It's it's a really interesting demo, and I'm really excited for the full release whenever and if ever that happens. Um, so I highly recommend people play that. It's neat. And hey, the developers of Zero, if you're listening, you can come on the show anytime. Oh, I'd love that, yeah. Um, I believe it's just one person. Um, Cyrides on Twitter, if you want to follow them. Yeah, cool stuff. Yeah, and you have your research in here too that people could check out, some cool interviews and all that. Yeah, I definitely recommend reading the Wumpa Gem Enter the Dragonfly Investigation interviews. Uh, that's where I got a lot of my information. Um, I also cited the Stuart Copeland interview that Games TM did, and how that one also mentions how, like, about a third of the messages he gets on Facebook is people complimenting the Spyro soundtrack, which is always great. <laughs> um yeah totally. and then some other older articles that i credited yeah good stuff um next up we will be wrapping up our spyro marathon with spyro the dragon a hero's tale technically i believe spyro 5 even though it is very different from these games so yeah that that was released on ps2 and gamecube i don't think i got an xbox release um so you can go find it there or emulate it if you'd like i don't know nobody's going to re-release these so don't feel too bad about it so that'll be next time around this is one that i know actually nothing about so this will be interesting yeah it'll definitely be an interesting episode it is quite different in structure so and after that i don't know if we've thought out what will be after that so yeah you'll just have to wait um you know check back check out the other spyro stuff um in between this one and the last one coming out we we put a little pre-recorded warning about reignited trilogy just um 
currently, as we record this, Activision is going through some pretty nasty stuff. Um, so we recommend people do not buy that new. <laughs> if you're curious about the series, you know there are ways to pick that up without giving Activision your money, which is important right now. <laughs> um, so please do that. And yeah, if you'd like to keep up with the show and see what we're doing, you can follow us at SaveStationPod on Twitter. Um, Connor runs that account as well as his personal account. Where can they find that? Yeah, you can find me at ConiferSSR. That's where I will post any weird glitches I tend to have with various games. A lot from Enter the Dragonfly, I'll tell you that. Uh, Where can they find you, Dustin? They can find me at DustinHDragon on Twitter. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. As depressing as it was, I think think we made it fun. I think we did. We tried to. (laughs) Hopefully. Hopefully fun and hopefully a little nuanced. I don't know. Let us know. I'm always open to critique on, on Twitter. You can you can at me um, there. And yeah. So thank you for listening. And please remember to always be good to each other. Bye. Bye.